I'm going to invite you to open your Bible this morning to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. And you've been joining us these last few weeks, you've learned that we've now taken chapter 5 and we've turned it into a series. There in chapter 4, it begins with Paul speaking of the walk of the believer. How are we to walk after having received the grace of God? How should we walk as believers? We receive God's grace. We receive God's love, His mercy. Chapter 4 speaks of walking as a new man, that the old man has died, the old nature, and the new nature now is alive by the grace of God. So chapter 5 speaks of the walk, the fruit of walking in love. What does that mean? That we walk in love serving one another, being imitators of God. And then the second portion of chapter 5, the fruit of walking in light, that we should awake out of darkness. And now today we see the fruit of walking in wisdom. If you like taking notes, write this down as the title of today's message. The fruit of walking in wisdom. The fruit of walking in wisdom. And here, he opens this section and he now is taking us to a place where he's speaking of living a life by the power of the Holy Spirit. That we are to live a life by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the last of the walks that he exhorts the believer in Ephesians chapter 5. So he spoke about the individual. Now he's going to speak about the family, about the children, about marriage. So these next few weeks, we're going to open up and seeing that the Holy Spirit should have now control in our marriage in our family, in our children. We're going to talk about the role of the husband and the role of the wife. So make sure that you don't miss. I know oftentimes when it's time to talk about the husband's role, they all stay home. No. We're going to come to church. We're going to learn what's our role. And how God, through His Spirit, is equipping us with the resources so that we're having problems at home in our marriage with our children or maybe in and of ourselves in our lives with Christ that we would receive the filling of the Holy Spirit, and then we would learn what it means to walk in wisdom. So we learned three major things in only seven verses this morning. Number one, to redeem the time. Number two, to be filled with the Spirit. And number three, that we would be singing spiritual songs. Singing spiritual songs. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word this morning as we Read together, I will I'll read the odd verses and you'll read the even verses together out loud. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Let's pray. So, Lord, we come before you right now. And, Lord, we are submitting to you. Lord, because we fear you, Lord, we have a respect, a reverence. So we ask today, Lord, that we would redeem the time, that we wouldn't waste time. We would make good use of time because the days are evil. So Lord, teach us to have our focus on you right now. That we would eliminate distractions in our minds so that you would speak to us as if this message were just for us personally. It is in Jesus' name we pray, and together we said, Amen. You may be seated. As he begins here in this section, the fruit of walking in wisdom, the first element of that is redeeming the time. 
redeeming the time. So he says in verse 15, Paul's telling the church there in Ephesus, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. When you look at the word circumspectly, it has to do with a circumference now, or looking around in a circle. Looking around. So when he's talking to believers, he says, I want you to look around, or I want you to walk carefully, that you would live your life carefully. It means to look around. Now, what, why does it mean to look around? Because it carries the idea here of precision, of exactness now, of accuracy. Uh, he's saying here, see then that you walk with accuracy. See that you walk with exactness. That you watch your path so that you can avoid contact with undesirable influences. Now, as he's talking to the believers, he's very serious about their walk. It's very important that we're serious about our walk. So he says, see then that you walk carefully, that you walk fully aware of the temptations that surround you, that you're aware of those temptations, so that you are not unwise, but that you are wise, and you're watching every step of your walk. That you're not walking carelessly. This is exactly why he says in verse 15, not as fools, but as wise. Don't walk foolishly. Don't walk carelessly without any kind of proper guidance or forethought where you're thinking ahead in regards to where you're going. You see, it's only a fool that allows himself to drift with the wind and with the tide, with every circumstance. He doesn't know where he's going. He gets lost. But the wise in wisdom now learn and watch every step circumspectly and carefully in an application. Ask themselves always, is this next step wise and is it appropriate? Ask yourself today as you're going to that place, as you're going to participate of that, that next thing or have that conversation, is it wise that I'm doing this? Is it appropriate that I'm a, a part of this? Because you know what a wise man does is that he sets his course. In fact, the sailor would set his course. He would set his sail now and he guides that little rudder. Think about this. He guides that little rudder until he reaches his destination very carefully. You see, the people that never watch their steps carefully or circumspectly never arrive at the place that God has prepared for them. They get lost along the way. They stumble along the way. Or they fall along the way. They are not watching their steps. Here in verse 15, he's reminding, he's exhorting the Christian. He says, a wise Christian is going to be very strict with himself, with herself, about their walk. That your walk is on point. What does it mean that your walk is on point? That it looks consistent to Scripture. That you're watching every step. That you're certain as to where your next step will lead you. That you will not get lost if you continue in that way. You see how important it is that you walk circumspectly? That you know where you're going? That you have a strict consistency that is essential so that you do not fall? So that you do not stumble? So that you do not become lost? Now notice, what's the contrast here? That the foolish person, the unwise person, as you would describe it there in verse 15, walks for pleasure. The foolish person walks for the foolish person walks recklessly. It doesn't matter what's in the way, it doesn't matter where they're going to step into. They walk recklessly, they they surrender their convictions that are given to them by the Holy Spirit or by the Word of God. Or oftentimes we walk the path of less resistance. Well, we know what's well, easier to walk this way than to walk in holiness. That is walking foolishly now. Or what about when we start to follow the crowd, when we do things just because we see other people doing them, and we think, well, everyone is doing this, so let's walk in that direction. You see, if you're walking carefully, if you're walking circumspectly, you are not following the crowd. You know what you're following? The Word of God. So here he's exhorting us to take every step Carefully, would you write this down? Proverbs 4, verse 25. Solomon says this, Lay your eyes, look straight ahead. 
and your eyelids look right before you. Look straight ahead and look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Remove your foot from evil. Now it says remove your foot from evil because it's very important where you're standing and it's very important where you're walking. Didn't Jesus say the same thing on the Sermon of the Mount in Matthew chapter 7? When he describes the wise man and the foolish man. He says, I liken obedience like this. The wise man is one that heard the Word of God in Matthew 7 verse 24. And then he applied the Word of God and he built his house on the rock, the wise man. And what does he do as that wise man built his house on the rock? It said that the winds came, the storms came, the floods came, and they beat on that house, but the house stood firm. But the foolish man, what did he do? He heard the sayings and, and the words of God, and he goes and he does not do them. He likens them like a man that builds his house on the sand. And you build your house on a very weak foundation. So the winds come, the storms come. And notice what happens, they beat on that house, the floods beat on that house, and the house now great its, its destruction. So what does he now give us here? Why does he give us this exhortation, Christ, on the Sermon on the Mount? Because there are some people that are building very foolishly. They're not building on the Word of God. This is exactly why, if you're married today, if you're single today, if you have children, if you want to walk wisely, if you want to walk carefully, you have to make sure that you're building or walking on those things that last. The foundation of the Word of God. Walking in wisdom here, it would explain to us that it means that you're planning your next step or your day so that you use your opportunities wisely. That's exactly why we plan. So that we use our opportunities wisely. It's been said before that a planned life it's better to deal with unexpected events. A planned life is better to deal with unexpected events. Think about a pilot. When he doesn't know what port he's heading to, he doesn't know what port he's heading to. Every wind is the wrong direction. Do you know where you're going today? Because if you don't know where you're going, every wind is the wrong direction. So he's saying, walk looking around. Watch your step. Make a conscious decision, notice what he says, in a very concerning time. Why should you watch your walk? Because it's a very concerning time. And he would say in verse 16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Why are we to walk this way? Because we're making the most out of every opportunity. In fact, when he says redeem the time, he says seize every opportunity, seize that opportunity for the glory of Jesus. He's not speaking of time here when he says redeem the time as chronological time. When he speaks of time here, he's speaking of seasons. Because of the season, because of the time that we're living in. Because of that season, redeem the time and make every opportunity to use it for the glory of God. That we would be a people that say we are living for such a time as this. Think about what's taking place in our world around us. And that God has sovereignly allowed these events to be taking place right now and also allowed us to live through them. And because He's allowed us to live through them, He's allowed us as Christians to have the opportunity to live for such a time as this. Redeem the time, the season. The word opportunity comes from that Latin word, toward the port. Toward the port. And who would use this term, the toward the port or opportunity, it suggests that a sailor would take advantage now of the wind and of the tides to arrive safely at the harbor. So just imagine a Christian, because of the seasons, because of the times that we're living in, we're using these times we're using these seasons and we're taking them and our advantage now to arrive at the place where God wants us to be. We're making the most out of every opportunity. And he uses that word redeem. What does it mean to redeem something? To buy it, to purchase it. 
So he says, walk as those that are walking in wisdom while you're buying up opportunities. Like a shrewd businessman or investor, what does he do? He looks at the market. When it's time to invest, he invests. When it's time to sell, he sells. When you go out to the store and you see a good deal, what do you do? You take advantage of it because of the time. Taking advantage of things. So he's saying, take advantage of this season that you're in right now. And because of this season, make the most out of every opportunity for Jesus Christ. Be intentional. Be purposeful about everything that you do when you consider the days that you're living in. Now, Paul said the same thing to the church there in Galatia. He said this to the Galatians in Galatians 6 verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. If you have opportunity, then do good. If God's made an opportunity for you, then step into that opportunity, walk through that opportunity, and make the most out of it, buy it up, take advantage of it for the glory of God. Now notice, oftentimes instead of redeeming time, we waste time. Instead of using time, instead of investing our time in the kingdom of God, instead of sowing time, we, we waste it. We must be very purposeful with our time. It's been said before that you know and you learn a lot about a person when you know what they do on their days off. <laughs> what do you do on your days off? Are you using that time? Are you considering the times that you're living in and using them for the glory of God? Colossians chapter 4, verse 5, Paul says this, walk in wisdom. The person that walks in wisdom will never waste time. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside redeeming the time, buying up the time. Use every opportunity in light of the times. Can you discern the times that we're living in right now? Oftentimes we're living in very critical days and we ask the Lord, Lord, would you just use our lives in the days that we're living in? And then God opens a door for ministry or for now usefulness and then we don't want to walk through that door. When we pray, Lord, use us, and then he opens the door, we have to be obedient and step out in faith and saying, Lord, we're going to make the most of this season and now reach out to people that the gospel would be proclaimed and many would be saved for the glory of God. Now notice he also describes this redeeming the time because of the brevity of our life. You think about how quick your life goes. The, the Bible would tell us that life is like a vapor. It's here right now, and then it's gone tomorrow. So make the best or make the most out of every opportunity that God gives us to advance His purpose. Today, are you using the opportunities that God gives you to advance His purpose? That you would advance the ministry, that you would advance the gospel, that you would advance the great commission in sharing others the love of God? And notice He gives us a reason as to why we should redeem the time. We should be walking in wisdom, never wasting time. Notice. Walk in wisdom, looking around, watching your step, never wasting time, making the most out of the times. Why? Because the days are evil. Underline that in your Bible, church, because the days are evil. Paul lived in a day where there was bitter opposition to the gospel. And it was there in Ephesus where they had the, the temple of the goddess Diana where they worshipped her, the goddess of sex. And he understood that there was an opposition, there was a darkness. Now, and, and just think about how Paul says, because the days are evil. If the days were evil then, think about how evil they are now. If you go to Greece there and you see the statues of the idols and the temples and the shrines that they have, they worshipped all these gods. It was a very dark society. And here he's saying, because of the darkness that surround us, don't waste time. In fact, that word evil comes from the Greek word poneros. And the word poneros is from the word that we receive, pornography. So here what he's describing says that the society is very impure, the culture is very impure. It wants to pollute our minds now with the impure thoughts now of society. So therefore, redeem 
the time. Would you discern the times that you're living in that you would know that even today, the sin of sex and fornication and adultery is everywhere in books and movies and social media and billboards. And because that is very prominent, a very impure society and corrupt society, it should provoke us, it should mobilize us ourselves to action so that we don't waste time. Think about the people that waste time. They're in bondage to fear. I don't want to go out there, right? It's so bad out in the world. I hear people all the time say, well, you know what? I just don't want to bring kids into this world. The Lord says to be fruitful and to multiply. And that we would now, as we raise children, we would raise beacons of light that the dark world would know Jesus through our children. That we would not be in now bondage to sin or to laziness. It's very foolish to waste opportunities to win the lost instead of seeking those opportunities that may be taken away when sin and society advance their own agenda. Just think about this. Either society will take the opportunity or the church will take the opportunity to bring people to Christ. It's an evil generation. It's an evil time. Peter spoke to those Jews that were being persecuted for their faith in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. 1 Peter 1, 17, he says, Who gave himself for our sins, Jesus, that he might deliver us from this present evil age. We live in a very present evil age according to the will of our God and our Father. Now notice what's taking place. He says, because of the evil background and backdrop of society and culture, it is important that we walk carefully and that we redeem, buy up every opportunity to share Christ. Verse 17, it goes on, Therefore, because of this, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't be unwise. Don't act thoughtlessly. A wise person not only is going to walk carefully, not only is that wise person going to redeem the time, but they're also going to notice what it says, know what the will of the Lord is. The wise understand God's will. The wise walk carefully. The wise redeem the time. The wise understand what God's will is. And there in verse 17, as it says, don't be unwise, he says, don't be senseless. Don't be senseless now. Don't, the, the senseless people, they don't think about what they're going to do. They don't think about what they're going to say. They, they live very, a very reckless life. In fact, the unwise lack discernment. Where you have bad judgment now. There's no spiritual wisdom as to where God is leading you. What God wants you to do, you make very poor decisions. You don't know how to make decisions because you're neglecting the Word of God, the Bible. So he says, do not be unwise, but understand or learn what the will of the Lord is. What is true wisdom? True wisdom is knowing what the will of the Lord is through the Word of God. True wisdom is understanding God's will for your life. And when you understand God's will for your life, use your now mind, the renewed mind that God has given you, so that you can walk now and apply God's will for your life. And now, notice in verse 17 what it says, understand, it, it has nothing to do with emotion. It has nothing to do with feeling, but it has to do with applying now our minds to Scripture. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Apply your mind to the Bible, to Scripture. God doesn't want us to simply know His will. He wants it to us to understand it and to prayerfully give attention to it and to prayerfully then apply it. What does God want us to do? Not what does the world want us to do. Not what does, the, what, what does other people want us to do. In fact, it's not even about what you want to do. It's about what does God want me to do now? What is God's will for my life? Notice God's will for our lives is holiness. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, what does it say? That you would present your bodies a living sacrifice there at the altar, holy and acceptable to God. Because it's your reasonable service. 
And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. A transformed mind as a result of prayer, as a result of the Word of God, seeking God's will through that. And a renewed mind is always looking to understand God's will. Now, if God gives you a renewed mind because you've responded to His grace, you know what He wants you to do? He expects you to use it. (laughs) Would you use that mind that God has given you to understand what His will is? And maybe today you need wisdom because you need to make a decision. And you say, well, I need wisdom today. Ask God for wisdom today. And He is so faithful enough to give you that wisdom. In James chapter 1, verse 5, it says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Don't ask other people. You need wisdom? Ask God, who gives with all now liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. If you need wisdom right now, if you want to understand what God's will for your life, what are you to do right now? Ask God, and he's going to give you wisdom. The Holy Spirit will reveal it to you. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's a very patient teacher. But I want to ask you today, are you patient enough to wait for the wisdom of the Holy Spirit? Are you patient enough right now to understand His will through the Holy Spirit? You see, there are four things that we can describe through Scripture that are God's will for your life. Number one, that you're saved. That you're saved. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, it would say this, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, and our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. What does God desire? That all would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy chapter 2. But God's will is also that we would be spirit-filled. That we would be filled with the Spirit of God. In verse 18 of chapter 5, He's going to tell us that we would be filled and controlled by the Spirit. God's will for our lives also is, number 3, that we would be sanctified. What does it mean to be sanctified? It means that you are becoming more like Christ. You are set apart for His use. You're set apart from the world for God. You're sanctified. 1 Thessalonians 4.3, write this one down. 1 Thessalonians 4.3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. What does God want for your life? Holiness. Just like we spoke of last week, not that you would walk in light and then in darkness, not that you would share fellowship with darkness. God's will for our lives is that we would be saved, spirit-filled, sanctified, but also, fourth, now, submitted. Submitted. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, Peter tells the church that was being persecuted for their faith. He says, therefore, submit yourself. To every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to king as supreme, or to governors as to those who are sent by him, for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good, be a people that are submitted. Don't be reckless. Be submitted now, for this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. How is it that we learn that God's will for us is that we would be saved? Spirit-filled, sanctified, submitted. Well, we learn His will. He reveals His will according to His Word. If you want to know His will, you must know His Word. The people that want to know the will of God, notice what they must do. They must get to know the Word of God. Because as the Word of God is dwelling in our hearts richly, then out of it, now it transforms our mind to understand the direction that God has for our lives. And the Christian now can walk carefully, we can walk accurately because we know what God wants us to do. So as he even exhorts from verse 15, see that you walk very carefully as wise. The wise walk carefully. They redeem the time. They understand what God's will for them is. They understand what God wants them to do. It is almost like a builder. Think about a builder when he's building Uh, an entire building now, and he's doing a build-out. What does he do first? He lays out the blueprints so that he can accomplish faithfully like an architect now what the architect has planned. The architect plans something. Now the builder is going to look at the blueprints and begin to build. You know what the blueprints are for your family, for your children? You're holding it in your hand right now, the Word of God. 
God has given us the blueprints to marriage. Here they are. The blueprints to parenting. Here it is, the Word of God. To family, to relationships. And as God has given us these blueprints, we must faithfully now use these blueprints to build God's way. And notice, it's a matter of the heart as well. Because after you know what God wants you to do, after you understand His will, ask yourself, am I ready to obey what He wants me to do? Am I ready and am I willing? Are you going to be wise or foolish? Understand what the will of the Lord is. And here He's going to now lead us into the direction of the home. Because the enemy, this world, this evil generation, I want you to know, wants to attack and destroy the family, the homes. He wants to destroy marriage. He's after your marriage if you're coming to church. He's after your children, the things that they listen to, the things that they're watching. And always there to sow discord. That's why as men and women of God, what do we have to have? A home that is governed by the Word of God. Is your home today governed by God's Word? Because if it's not governed by God's Word, the consequences are very tragic. Too many marriages today end up in divorce. They end up in divorce. Too many families are broken up because God's word was not the authority in the house. It was something else. And he spoke with, about us here in chapter 5 about God's will, understanding God's will through God's word, also by God's spirit. Understanding his will by his word and then through his spirit. Because only through the power of the Holy Spirit can we walk in this unity that He's already exhorted us to live in. You see, as, as a husband or the, the wives and the children and the family, the home, we can't experience this perfect unity that the Bible speaks about without the Holy Spirit. You'll find yourself always arguing, always bickering, always in an argument, always upset. There's always opposition or division. We can only live this unity out when the Spirit's fullness now has filled our home and each member of the family, each member of the home is governed by God's Word and is filled with the Holy Spirit. You can read every parenting book that you want. If you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, it's not going to work. You know what your, holy, your children need today in their home? They need parents that are filled with the Holy Spirit. What does the marriage need? Husbands that are filled with the Holy Spirit. The wives that are filled with the Holy Spirit so that the marriage can work. Verse 18, in fact, it would say this, and do not be drunk with wine. Underline that, please. And do not be drunk with wine. He's speaking of being filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a carnal contrast here now. Don't be intoxicated with alcohol. Clearly defined as a sin. Drunkenness. In Galatians 5.21 Paul describes the works of the flesh and he says, these sins, he lists them all. He says, those that practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In that list, he now describes drunkenness. Envy, murders, drunkenness, revileries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I've also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Somebody asked me last week after first service, is it okay for a Christian to drink? Is it okay for a Christian to, oh, what does the Bible say? It doesn't matter what I think. I'm not, it's not about my opinion. It's about what does the Bible say? What are you going to drink for? It's foolish. It's unwise. It only leads to compromise. Isn't that what Solomon said in Proverbs 21? Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler. It's going to make you now do things in the flesh. And whoever is led astray by it is not wise. So he says, and do not be controlled with an outside substance. Don't be influenced because it destroys, it deteriorates a person's character. Wine. Did you know that there in Ephesus, they did not only worship the goddess of sex, but they also worship wine. So he's telling the believers here, don't drink wine. And don't get drunk. How can you walk carefully? How can you be wise if you're drinking? You know what it's going to do? It's going to alter your decision making. 
You're going to be impaired now. And, and you know what wine alcohol is? It's a depressant. And you start to lose your balance. You lose your self-control. You lose your judgment, your vision. And now you're being controlled by an outside substance. And he says, don't do this. Only an unwise, only a foolish person would get drunk. Only a foolish person, unwise person will get drunk. And notice that it describes it in verse 18, which is dissipation. It's dissipation. What does it mean that it's dissipation? It ruins your life. You're wasting resources that should be submitted for Jesus. Why are you drinking? It causes you to stumble and it causes other people to stumble and then you fall. How can you walk carefully, walking every step if you're drinking? It is going to cause you or someone else to stumble. Just imagine. If you're drinking, you're having a, a, a wine at a restaurant. Somebody walks in who has a, a problem with alcohol. And they see you there at the table with a glass of wine. What are they going to think? If that believer can drink, then so can I. And you'll stumble your brother. You think it's worth it? It's not worth it. It destroys you. And notice what it does. Alcohol has the reputation of destroying marriages and families. It ruins testimonies. I've seen it ruin leaders, Christians that compromise in drinking in the ministry as well. And then you know what? You know, just a glass of wine one time. And what, did that, what happened after that? One little compromise of a glass of wine led to a different compromise. And then the family is destroyed. The marriage is destroyed. And it costs you everything. A moment of compromise costs you a lifetime of misery. Sometimes you share this with couples that are about to get married as it's the section there of, of marriage and you share with them. And do not be drunk with wine. Maybe you even share it at the ceremony, at, at, at the wedding, and do not be drunk with wine. And then other people will think, this guy just ruined our reception. I can't believe it. How many times... I've seen even at Christian weddings that people have alcohol. What kind of testimony are you giving to people? If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you shouldn't have that around you. Because you're controlled by the Holy Spirit. And this is why he says in verse 18, but be filled with the Spirit. The word filled means be controlled. It's a command. Write that word next to verse 18, a command. And that word where it says filled, in its grammar, it means to be consistently filled with the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit would now control your mind, that the Holy Spirit would control your emotions, the Holy Spirit would control your will. You can't be filled with the Holy Spirit, you can't be controlled with the Holy Spirit, and then also be controlled by the flesh. It doesn't work that way. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're not going to be filled with wine. A lot of times we ask the Lord, Lord, would you fill us with the Holy Spirit? And now I want you to know this, even this morning, that God cannot fill you with the Spirit if you're already filled with yourself. You have to surrender. You have to be emptied of yourself. What is the Spirit? The Spirit is not a depressant. The Spirit is a stimulant. It moves every aspect of our being to be better and more perfect, more mature like Christ. It changes us to be more like Christ. And notice, the filling of the Spirit, I want you to know this, it's not a one-time event that we live off for the rest of our lives. Like, I was filled with the Spirit five years ago, and I'm living off of that filling. No, God wants to fill, your, fill you with the Spirit today again. And you would say, well, He filled me yesterday. Well, let Him fill you again today so that you're overflowing with the power of the Holy Spirit. That you're overflowing with the power of the Holy Spirit. That you're receiving it by faith again. So that now your marriage is filled with the Spirit. Your home is filled with the Spirit of God. You see, as He speaks there, be filled. It indicates two things. Number one, you can't fill yourself. It's not manufactured. You have to surrender in order to be filled. In order to be controlled, you have to surrender. You can't be in control and then want the Spirit to control you as well. You know, it's the big problem today that everyone wants to be in control. If you're a Christian, you're not in control anymore. Stop trying to be in control. 
Stop trying to be in control. You, let the Spirit be in control. Let the Spirit govern your life. Let Him set the pace. And second, it's imperative that we're filled. It's not an option. We must be filled with the Spirit. We must be consistently filled with the Spirit of God. Why do we have to be consistently filled with the Spirit of God? Because at one moment, we can be filled. At the next moment, we can grieve the Spirit. Something we say, something we do. A place that we go to that we shouldn't be, we grieve the Spirit. And notice what we need to do when we grieve the Spirit. Confess the sin. Ask the Lord for forgiveness. And then seek for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. The people that walk in wisdom are always looking for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. So that they can redeem the time. So they can understand God's will. So that they have power now to walk in that will. Now that you understand His will, now walk in it by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can say, well, you know what? Marriage is hard. I'm not going to tell you it's hard. It's impossible. It's two sinners living in the same house. What do you think is going to happen? But with the power of the Holy Spirit, God does a work. And the two become one and they glorify the Lord. That's exactly what he's saying here. The reason why there's a spiritual now apathy in our lives sometimes or a weakness now, an anemia, is because we're not being consistently filled with the Holy Spirit. You know what short-circuits the filling of the Holy Spirit? Sin in your life will short-circuit the Holy Spirit. Prayerlessness. You never pray. You never read God's Word. You're filled with self now. But when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, now He expects us to obey because He's given us the power to do it. In your strength, you can't do it. You'll never do it. Your marriage will never work in your strength. But when you're filled with the power, the upon experience of the Holy Spirit, Acts 1.8 says, you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you'll have power to be a witness for the Lord. Be a witness for the Lord in your Jerusalem, in your home. How? By the filling of the Holy Spirit. How do you get filled with the Holy Spirit when you go to Him and surrender? Say, Lord, I'm thirsty. I want to be filled. Jesus in John chapter 7 What did he say on the last day of the feast, that great day of the feast? What did Jesus do? He said they were celebrating the the feast now. And they were going there to that fountain now to draw water. Those that were thirsty after seven days, the Jewish tradition. And it said Jesus went there on the last day, the great day of the feast. And he says, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. For he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water, torrents of living water, a mighty rushing torrent of living water. It's the Spirit flowing in and flowing out of your life. You know what happens when the Spirit takes over your life? When a Christian is filled with the Holy Spirit, he's transformed into a different kind of person. (laughs) Into a different kind of person. You know what you start to exhibit? A loveliness of Christ. The loveliness of Christ. What does that mean? The fruit of the Spirit. When you're filled with the Spirit, you exhibit the fruit of the Spirit with its love, joy, peace, and and it changes the way that you walk, the way that you talk. It changes your behavior now. And no longer are you controlled by the flesh. Paul would say to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, I say then, walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. The only way to be walking in the Spirit is that you're filled in the Spirit by the Spirit. And you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You won't always argue. You won't always oppose one another. You won't always be bitter or unforgiving. Walk in the Spirit. So in verse 19 and 20, he speaks of the Spirit-filled believer. Notice, what is the outcome? What is the outcome of someone that's filled by the Spirit? Verse 19, Speaking to one another, the great one another, again there in verse 19. When you're filled with the Spirit, you're going to edify one another. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. Speaking to one another, notice, as it would describe it, in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. If you're filled with the Spirit, instead of arguing, notice what you're going to do with your words. You're going to speak to one another now at home. You're going to speak to one another here at church or even at work. The natural desire 
that's going to come out of your heart and out of your lips. Now, the conversations are going to be those that praise God together, encouraging one another that you would do this the same. Three things coming out of your mouth now. You're filled with the Spirit. Now psalms are coming out of your mouth. The Davidic Psalms in the Bible speak of what? Scriptural music that teaches about God. What's going to come out of your mouth now are songs that teach you about God. What about hymns that teach you doctrine, that teach you truth, that teach you about who God is, the truth? Isn't that what they do even in now children's ministry? That, that kids learn the doctrine of who God is through songs. Praising the Lord. Jesus loves me. This I know because the Bible tells me so. And here when we, when we sing hymns and songs to the Lord, we're singing the truth about who He is. And then spiritual songs, number three. What are spiritual songs? They lift our heart and our soul in joyful adoration. Number one, the first thing that you see of a spirit-filled believer is that they are joyful. They're not talking bad about other people. It's the matter of a heart. They're not talking bad about one another or against one another always. But it would say here, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. It's the Holy Spirit now, a matter of the heart, that the Holy Spirit is pulling on the strings of your heart now. Isn't that amazing? Making melody in your heart to the Lord. The Holy Spirit is pulling on the strings of your heart now. And you're making melody. You're not ashamed to express the glory of God. He is the source he is the object of your worship now. And then instead of talking so foolishly, instead of talking so foolishly, now we're praising God together. Instead of arguing with one another, now we're praising the Lord together. We're speaking to one another. We're, we're focusing on exalting Christ now on the Lord Jesus. It, 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 notice, it, it now revisits here. It challenges now. It examines the way that we speak with one another. Is it spontaneous worship? Do you speak about praise reports? Or is it complaints? And this joy, it's not on an emotion. It's not on circumstances. The one that's filled with the Spirit, notice the believer, he has a deep now adequacy and confidence in what the Lord is doing in his life, in her life, that it doesn't matter what's taking place. Even in difficult circumstances, you can praise God. It doesn't matter what you're going through. Do you remember in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas were there in prison? I said at midnight, the jailer heard a sound. What is that sound? It was Paul and Silas there in prison, praising the Lord at midnight. Going through trials, but praising the Lord. Can you praise God when you're going through your trial? Can you sing when death takes place? Can you sing when sickness enters your life? Can you sing today when a loved one goes astray or when times get hard? Only when you're filled with the Spirit can you be joyful through circumstances. He gives you the resources that we need, the strength that we need. This is what we need in order for us to continue to grow as believers, to be filled with the Spirit. Notice, joyful, but the second quality that is always demonstrated in a person that's filled is that they're thankful. Joyful and thankful. Verse 20, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't say giving thanks sometimes. Giving thanks always, not complaining. That you have an attitude of gratitude, that you're not arguing all the time. It's been said before that the home is the place where we're treated the best, but we complain the most. Are you grateful at your home? Think about how you would think, talk to other people in your home. If you're filled with the Spirit and every day you wake up with an attitude of gratitude, you're thanking God for your spouse, for your children, and not what you got to give you. Do you wake up with gratitude at your home? That that would be the atmosphere that you cultivate where you live. Gratitude. Why? Because a complaining and a grumbling heart and the Holy Spirit, they don't go together. A complaining heart, a grumbling heart, a heart that's so hard, and the Holy Spirit, those things do not go together. We have to be thankful for all things, even the things that we didn't choose for ourselves, but God chose for us. Because he's going to accomplish his will. What did Paul say when he was going through difficulties in Philippians 4, 6? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Pray, ask God, but be grateful. 
Let your requests be known to God. In 1 Thessalonians 5.18, he says this, in everything, not in some things, not when things are going well, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. What is God's will for your life? That you would give thanks. You know what the attitude and that word, that Greek word, the attitude of, of, of gratitude, that, that root word of gratitude comes from the word grace. Gratitude and grace come together. And if we've experienced the grace of God, then we ought to be grateful for what God brings to us. Be grateful for what God brings to us. When we think about what God has done for us, that same word describes us. The more that we think of what God's done for us, in us, and through us, the more thankful that we can be. Why? Because gratitude, thankfulness to one another is the secret to a happy home. But only the Holy Spirit gives us that grace, that thankfulness. Where we're humbly accepting, we're humbly saying, Lord, today I'm grateful and every perfect gift is from God. You think about Mary there in John chapter 12, who came, who was forgiven in John chapter 12. She came and she broke an alabaster flask of very costly oil on Jesus and started to weep. And it said that she was worshiping the Lord. She was so grateful to the Lord that that aroma, what did it do? It filled, that, that fragrance filled now that house. It was a fragrance of worship. It was a fragrance of gratitude. I pray that maybe in your house today, you would go home and that would be the fragrance of your home, gratitude, joy. But the only way that joy and gratitude can fill your house, can that, that can be the fragrance of your house in your marriage with your children at work is if you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm not talking about yesterday's feeling. I'm talking about today that God says, all right, he's going to fill you with his strength so that you can walk carefully, so that you can redeem the time, so that you understand the will, what the will of the Lord is, so that you would be filled with the Spirit and then you would have the resources that out of your mouth you sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs to the Lord, praising God with one another, being grateful for all things, and submitting to one another in fear of God. If, if today you're saying, well, I, I desire that for my family. I desire that for my children. I desire that for my home. I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit right now. If, if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit right now, a fresh feeling. If you want to overflow with the Holy Spirit, I want to pray for you right now. Would you stand on your feet right now?